It's good to be here. I just came in from Oregon where we were able to, there's a friend of mine 10 years ago that uh, we went out on a piece of land that was just grass and some dirt. And he had a vision for a pub, I mean, a Christian school in an area where the public schools are surrounding and all the pain hurt. And we just stood there and lifted our hands and began to prophesy. And that lump of dirt now is a Christian school with 100 and about 75 in the high school, 200 in the junior high. And in 10 years, they've done everything from winning a state basketball to someone just donated a football field. They, they, it's it's one of the most incredible. Look it up, Sean. It's called Horizon Christian, and God is doing such a work there. And and something happened the last. I go every year in in January and I kick off a revival meeting. I don't do any Christian schools now unless I have four days and they give me an hour and a half with the students every day. I just don't go in and try to do a forty-five minute, you know, thing and you guys all get right with God and I don't do that stuff anymore. I go in, and what we do is we um, spend four days in the student uh, school. We have a night meeting. I have three schools that I work with now extensively, and what happens is we do it at 1 o'clock, and last year what had happened is so many kids started calling their friends from the public schools, and by the fourth day, we had over 100 students cut public school and come to be at the Christian school I've never seen anything like it, so really pray for us. We're adding a third radical reality camp, and it's going to be in Oregon. We are having such a revival among young people in Tualatin, Oregon area, that we're going to have our third radical reality camp in the month of August. First one out of state, and it's going to be a week, and we're believing God that God is going to eventually, we're going to have two camps up there and run 500 teenagers a week in Oregon. So if you can be praying for that, it's August 16th that week. Uh, our Oregon Radical Reality Camp. We'll still have two, uh, obviously, in Chico. But wouldn't it be cool that we're reaching 2,000 students and, <laughs> two different, and just raising them up, just raising them up. So 30 years of doing camp here uh, with our camp, and now God's given us another uh, camp. And who, who knows? I don't know what God's doing with this. Had the privilege where I was up there speaking to the Lakers. Some of you saw that on Facebook. Did you catch that, Sean? That was crazy. Uh, the chaplain asked me to come and speak to the Lakers, and they combined both teams, the Trailblazers and the uh, Lakers, and they asked me to do a couple of feats of strength. And you guys, we had like 18. That was unbelievable. Lakers came in. Coaches came in. And uh, I got to share the gospel. And when I rolled up the frying pan, it was so funny. The, the guys, you know, I didn't know how basketball players would react. They're screaming, yelling, just like, you know, football players and and some of the other folks I've done at the uh, baseball teams, but I've never done an NBA team. I uh, the we last year did a thing before the game at the Kings game, but I've never spoke. Uh, first of all, it's amazing, you know, to see that many people that are over seven foot, six eleven, seven foot. That that was just a treat within itself. I mean, it was amazing. And so Lynn, that one of the guards. Um, uh, I don't. I, it was really crazy because I don't follow NBA, so I didn't know a lot of guys in the room. And they were telling me all these stars in there, and I'm thinking. So when I ripped the license plate, Lynn goes, "Did that just happen? That just, they were just so. It was. They were so. They were like you know junior hires, but afterwards they were just seven foot tall. But they they were they were just getting into the feast. It was absolutely insane. So we just spent uh, a week there, and then the uh, schools. I was up there, and and uh, the Lord really really blessed. And um, we came back, 
And, and what I want to do, you guys, this is both services offering. I, I want to um, do something for Marysville. And I don't know how it's all going to work yet, but little Macy Smotherman is absolutely, <laughs> she is just, she has just got a hold of my heart. And um, she came up to me two years ago at camp, and um, she was nine at the time, and she had this card. And if anybody knows, especially Don, Pastor Don knows Mary, so it's, they don't have a lot of money there in that area, and it's depressed. But Macy comes up to me, and she's nine years old, and she hands me an envelope, and I open it, it's $40. And the $40 is she's saving up for her iPod. But she gave it to me because she wanted to give it to reach souls. Man, I, I didn't want to take her $40, and I kind of laughed, you know, and uh, it hurt her feelings. I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, but you know what I mean? Taking it from a 9-year-old, $40, and she was so sincere. So when we got home, I said, Cindy, you're buying her an iPod. We're buying an iPod. And so we bought her an iPod and sent it to her. And then so she sent me back a a picture of her with her iPod. And then she said in the letter, uh, Mr. Donnie, thank you so much for my iPod. But remember, winning souls is no laughing matter. Now, I I don't know if you... I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been rebuked by a nine-year-old, but so, so she comes up to me th- this summer camp, and Pastor, she has another envelope, and I don't want to take it. I do not want to take it. I'm the, what am I going to do this year, buy her a car? I, I didn't know what. To, so she comes up, and she hands me the envelope for three days of camp. I did not open it. I did not open the envelope. I didn't want to open it. And then her mother, Stacy, many of you know Stacy and Stevie, and um. So her mom comes up to me and says, you know, Donnie, she's, uh, she makes these pencils, and she colors them, and she sells them for a dollar a piece. And then she goes out and she recycles in the neighborhoods anything she can get. And um, she, she gets a little bit of allowance. But when you send your newsletter every month, I send the newsletter to her personally, she gets it and goes in her room, and she thinks it's a personal letter for me. And she reads it, and she prays for it. So he, Ten years old, so this is, she hands me, like I said, three days, I kept it in my Bible, so I opened it, and there was $100 in there, $100 for a ten-year-old, and this is what she wrote to me. She says, I want to make another donation to your ministry, which I believe in with all my heart. I will continue to support your ministry because I see the impact it makes in kids' lives. I love hearing the stories of kids in the schools who gave their hearts to the Lord. I pray for Radical Reality Ministry to be able to reach many more kids. My next goal is to bring you to my school and community. And um, $100 equals, equals 100 souls. And trust me, this is no laughing matter. <laughs> Love, Macy. <laughs> and so look, look at Macy. Okay, this is after camp. Uh, is she, no, that's her, okay, at camp. Now, there's a picture of her and I at the pizza parlor. We already stopped in uh, Live Oak, and, and that's her. Are you kidding me? There's n- I, there's no way I can't go to Marys, uh, Mar- Marysville and Lyndhurst, and we're right now working on getting in all the schools. She she doesn't know this, but we're going to get in all the schools, junior high, high schools, and then I want to go to her school. I think she's in New Life. I, I don't know where. I think that's where she's at. But I can't walk. I'm going to do. Her, no, I don't care where she's at. If she's in a public school, I will kick the door down. They can arrest me, but I'm going to do an assembly at her school. And so we have got fifteen hundred dollars set aside. And um, we, we need and to take Darwin and Jay, uh, I mean, Darwin, Terry, Dean to feed us uh, and for us to be there three days. Uh, that's a lot of pencils. So, 
So anyway, Stacy, Stacy um, told me, she goes, I don't have the heart to tell her. There's no way she can sell enough pencils, you know, and I said, don't tell her, you know, let her keep selling her pen. She colors them, you guys. So she's got this idea. Her mom told me now she wants to sell bracelets. I'm like, enough already. I go, we are going. So um, both services this morning, we're going to set it aside. I'm not going to touch it for any operation expenses. We're going to set it aside. And again, your first priority is give to the church. And, and please, your tithe, your, your, your gift here and anything outside. You guys already stand with us monthly. And I gave you the update to tell you what happened in, in Oregon. But um, I just really have on my heart uh, to go there uh, this spring, God willing, and uh, be able to do some schools and uh, make uh, this little girl 10-year-old. I, I, <laughs> I, just, I just know that God's going to make this happen some way, somehow. Okay, Pastor? Amen. If you want to offer an envelope, the ushers will help you. We'll receive an offering, then Donnie come preach. Father, we just thank you today. Lord, as we prepare to give, Lord, we just put our hearts in agreement with Macy. Lord, we thank you that uh, you're moving. Lord, your word even says that a child will lead them and direct us. And Jesus, you said that unless we became as children, it'd be hard for us to see, to understand, and even enter the kingdom. So, Lord, we want to unite our faith with little Macy this morning. We believe for Marysville, and, Lord, we'll sow a seed into Marysville to believe for a harvest in El Dorado County. We believe, Lord, that if we sow into another, what we make happen for others, you make happen for us. So, Father, we agree with Donnie. We want to be a part of this. We want to help to make this happen. So, Father, we give today, and we thank you for the opportunity of allowing us to be a part of this. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, ushers, if you're ready. Donnie, come on and preach to us now. Amen. While you're taking the offering, I'll begin the message. I'm going to speak to you out of a passage, really, um, in the New Testament. You know, I was watching the television show, The Voice, and um, I, I had some thoughts about it, but this will introduce, and then I will share with you, uh, the message while they're passing. What are you turning it down for, bro? Let's hear him sing. I can't hear it. You got a volume back there? I want to hear this dude sing.
thank you for turning it up. I want you guys to hear that. The producer, Mark Barnett, who is a born-again uh, believer, the founder of the show, and he's the one that produced him and his wife, um, the, the movie Son of God, um, big score TV viewers around the world, his smash hit Survivor, The Prentice. I mean, and he, and he comes then with The Voice. And The Voice is, is successful because of several distinction factors. It's a great staff of talent scouts that find amazing voices in the wind-blown towns of West Texas, the tough tenants of Watts and L.A., the quiet bedrooms of Atlanta, Georgia, and the sun-kissed beaches of Florida. The format is also a winner. The initial suspense of just getting a chair to turn is riveting. And then there are the battle rounds, knockout rounds, and the mentoring by celebrity coaches and their iconic friends. And one of the most visible successful strategies, the TV, uh, they really understand the choosing of the superstar coaches and their contagious synergy and distinctive diverse music styles. I mean, throughout the seasons, I was thinking about there's Blake, no country music like Shelton. And then there's My Hips Don't Live, Shakira, uh, Christina, um, I Can Hit the High, high Note, uh, Aguilera, Adam, Rock and Roll Levin, uh, they had, uh, Levine rather, they had CeeLo, the soul man that was there, and then they come back this year, they got the philosopher, Greg Smith, Pharrell, and then you got Gwen, the hollerback girl, Safani. Now, what has become obvious to all of us, the viewers, each distinctive style, their, their gender of music plays heavily into whether or not the chair is going to turn. And, and I was thinking, what kind of voice would turn the Lord's chair? What, what kind of voice would move God? So the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the voice that turns God's chair. The voice that turns God's chair. I know Sean's sitting back there going, that is very creative, Donnie. And the reason... Well, the reason is, is because I speak to youth, and, and, and this message is a really a message that, that I know some of the people in the beginning, especially religious folks, go, what is he doing with this? Trust me, I, I know one thing about reaching this generation, you've got to be relevant. And, and a lot of people do watch Voice, a lot of people watch American Idol. I mean, the guy that won, you guys, it blew me away on Voice, like three weeks uh, before the final, he sang the old rugged cross. I mean, I, I just, would you guys see anybody? See it was amazing. The guy stands there and sings not just a contemporary gospel song. He sang the old rugged cross. And, and when it cut to Gwen Stefani, she was sitting there crying. And she goes, I don't even know I'm crying. And it's just an amazing thing how, how we as believers are getting our, our foot in doors and, and using, uh, it's amazing, you guys, what God is doing in areas of opportunity, obviously with ministry. Now, we know God loves everybody, and he's full of grace, and he's full of mercy, and he doesn't love one of his children more than he loves the others. Yet, yet the Bible is very clear. There are some voices that turn and voices that move God more than others. And if you're taking notes, the first is the voice of the persistent seeker. In Luke 11, I tell you, he will not rise and give him because of his friend, but yet of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. It's amazing, isn't it? The Lord states in this parable there are times when persistence moves him more than friendship. 
persistence. DJ, can you believe my boy? DJ is just turned 18. He's a senior in high school. He's six foot now, and um, he played baseball last year. He hadn't played baseball since he's 11 years old, and I was like, oh, D, he, he's uh, going to go out for the varsity at the school, and I thought, you know, golly, I hope he doesn't get cut. I hope he makes the team. He hasn't played, but he worked hard. He made the team. He played part-time and hit, you know, like playing part-time over 300 and it was just an amazing thing because I was like I'm a motivator and I'm thinking can I you know motivate him uh, he was motivated and so he's a senior and he's playing again this year and like I said it, it's just an amazing thing to to think about his persistence to work hard and it, it was, I was so proud of him but he's always had that when we were um, uh, going down the street to McDonald's he was three years old four years old in the back seat and he goes, Dad, I want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. And I said, no, D, I'm not taking him to McDonald's. Dad, come on, we're going to McDonald's today. I said, no. And then he kept, and finally I just said, listen, if you mention McDonald's one more time, I'm not going to take you to McDonald's for like three months and just quiet in the back seat. Then all of a sudden I hear, oh, McDonald had a farm. <laughs> I, just, I just pulled in. I said, I'm going to get a Big Mac. What do you want? You know, I said, you, you know. <laughs> Jesus reaffirms his love for the voice of the persistent seeker. And this monologue is one of the most familiar in Scripture. He here makes it crystal clear he loves the voice of those that persistently go after him. The Greek uses the word ask, seek, and find, knock, and the progressive tense. Jesus actually said it this way, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. The guarantee he takes away the suspense whether or not his chair will turn. Everyone that asks and keeps on asking, seeks and keeps on seeking, knocks, keeps on knocking, will receive. And we find the door will open. A persistent seeker is never casual about engaging God's presence. you got Peter, James, and John. They're always there when Jesus has a big moment. Jesus had 12 comrades, but one, you know, when you think about the things that stick out is that when the big stuff went down, Peter, James, and John, w was it because they were there and they were the inner circle? Maybe. Was it because the others weren't spiritually mature and hadn't earned Jesus' trust? Possibly. But, but I read the accounts of the gospel. This is why I have come to believe that Peter, James, and John were persistent seekers. I believe they were so relentless in their determination to be with the Master that Jesus couldn't shake these guys. <laughs> they understood Jesus loved all of them the same, but he had chosen each of them, but they discovered there was a certain voice that Jesus found irresistible. You, you have no right to anything you have not pursued. The proof of desire is always pursuit. God responds to pursuit. The voice that he finds irresistible is all through the Bible the voice of those that are persistently seeking him. The second voice is the voice of the brokenhearted. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those that are crushed in spirit. I heard a faith teacher, uh, I won't name his name, but Pastor and I were, were discussing him uh, before the service, and, and he really meant well when he says, says God doesn't respond to anything but faith. God will, will not respond to need is what he said. And I disagree with that. Because if I look at scripture, w when Jesus walked in the synagogue in his hometown, 
he asked for the book of Isaiah. That was not unusual. When, when he read the passage known as Isaiah 61, that wasn't unfamiliar. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. But what was very unusual and most unfamiliar was when the Lord, the local cabinet maker in the town, the kid that, that learned to read right there in the very synagogue along with the other boys in the village, w when this scandalous, illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph looked at those listening and declared today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, and he sat down. Isaiah had written centuries earlier of the voice that would move the Messiah the most. And he said the brokenhearted would always be at the top of his list. A dear friend of mine uh, was in, had a church in Las Vegas, and this church was struggling because the, the ghetto, literally the hood right off the strip, moved toward him. And a lot of the money people, the people that, that have worlds, they left. They just left. And he, he was trying to figure out what to do. The Christian school was in such a bad way that they had to close the school down. And it, it, was, it was just a, a sad time, and he was thinking about leaving, and I was there with him, and I said, you just got to change who your audience is and who you're ministering to. And we were there praying, and, and I was just trying to encourage him, listen, it's not time for you to go. It's time for you to fight. It's time for you to, to just begin to believe God for a different opportunity, a way of ministry. Well, a local public charter school was going to come in, and they were, they, were, they were in that area looking for a facility. So they came in, and that charter school pays the church $23,000 a month, which covered all the bills, and they were able not to lay anybody off. The second thing that happened, he got to put some of the teachers in the school from his Christian school that now could have a job. Then he decided to go out and ask doctors to come Saturday and volunteer, and they started a health clinic. They had a big empty field out back of their church, and with Home Depot and a couple of other organizations, they built a, uh, and started and in, in, uh, had this garden where they began to grow to give to the poor. That, that school kitchen that was sitting empty now feeds 250 people a hot meal every Saturday. And so what happened in this school, this, this Christian, it's not Christian, excuse me, this charter school, the principal realized that these kids uh, come from really difficult backgrounds. You, you can throw from the school gymnasium a rock and hit the gay bathhouse. You can hit the naughty boutique. You can hit right next to that is the behind the green door. And these kids come from many of them, the apartments behind that area, and many of these kids, 80% of them walk to school every day. It's a school of about 300. And so four years ago, th this principal said, do you know anybody can help students, anybody that can come and speak? He goes, yes, I know a guy, Donnie Moore. So I started going four years ago every year that the school has been there now and speak. I have some, God has given us so much favor in this school for the very first time, and I've got to be very careful. Is this being recorded? I don't, I'm, I'm I got to really care for what I say because the Lord has given us such an opportunity that for the first time I gave an altar call in a public school. And um, God has given me, and I, I, I say this so humbly, 
a love for students. And um, one, of the, one of the girls, Hilda, I, I met Hilda um, three years ago, and Hilda ended up, she was, first of all, left by her parents, both drug addicts, in a house at eight years old. I mean, they packed everything up and left. And left her in the house like you would leave a pet. And um, I met Hilda three years ago, and I went there and uh, did the school, and we sat on the bleacher. Well, how she got there actually is um, they put her in foster care, a lot of abuse. They found her biological grandmother, and they she was in Las Vegas, so that's how she ended up in Las Vegas. Now she's at this charter school, and um, I meet her, and we sit there on the bleachers, and she tells me her story. I'm blown away. She comes to Christ. I promised her her senior year that I would come back and speak at the school. And so um, I went back last year. I want you to see this picture is when Hilda first saw me. I didn't see her, but when I walked in the gym, there, there she is uh, right there. And I hadn't seen her yet. And the first thing when I turned to her, she said to me was, you came back. And, and Hilda and I really developed a relationship. Hilda graduated um, last year, and I just went back um, a couple of weeks ago. And Victoria and her sister Alex are seniors this year, but that's a whole other story. They, they got on a bus 9 o'clock in the morning to get to 11 o'clock service, rode two buses to, to hear me. But Hilda graduated. She's a freshman in college right now. And she is, is going to school, and her dream and passion is to be a social worker and reach out and help other kids. And <laughs> I was a brokenhearted 16-year-old girl that God got a hold of. He's, he's close to the brokenhearted. Um, the third voice is the voice of honest humility. In Mark, immediately the boy's father explained chapter 9 and verse 24, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. There, there's a man who probably had never laid eyes on Jesus until that moment. Jesus brings this demonized, handicapped son. To, they, they, they brought him to Jesus. And he says, if you can, please help my boy. Jesus startles the man with his response. If I can. Now, now, wait a minute. And, and you would almost think that Jesus would follow that up with, do you know who I am? Listen, guy, not only if I can, do you know who I am? But he doesn't. The crowd's expecting that. But Jesus doesn't. He follows up with almost a, a shocking repetition of, of what the man's words with another obvious question. Obviously, he's going to say to you, no, no. But instead, Jesus redirects the attention to the man. He says, all things are possible to him that believes. And the man was stunned but desperate. And this is what I wanted to bring to your attention. He said, Lord, I, I, I believe. The Lord heard the cry of the man, the voice that moves, him, moves his heart every time. The, the man, he had honest humility. This is what he said. He said, Lord, I do believe. But then he said, help me with my unbelief. You know, sometimes, you guys, we can believe in our heart and doubt in our head. And, and, and this man is just, I love the Bible because when you really read it without being religious, you just see the honesty. He said, Lord, I, I need help with my son. And then, and then you see him, you know, 
would you help me? And then, and then Jesus, he, he listens to the man's heart. And, and the man, you know, you know who I am. What do you mean if I can? All the things, but the, the, the man, when Jesus says, all things are possible who believes, he said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Several years ago, I was invited to Maryville, California, and um, I went there for a Sunday service. It was just a Sunday service. And I, I preached that night, and then Pastor David Hood, who, spiritual father to Don, he walked up to me and said, hey, do you think you could stay tomorrow and do it again tomorrow night? You know, I said, sure. So I, I went, and I preached the next night. And then he said, can you stay another night? And three weeks later, <laughs> I mean, I preached every night. I remember on a Sunday night, we baptized 60 new, 69 new converts just in one, one night. I mean, it was like a three and a half hour, uh, four hour, I don't know how long it took, but we baptized 69 new converts. But I go back to the f first uh, week. It was about the third or fourth night. And the, the building was packed every night. And um, I went to the pulpit to get my Bible. And th they were turning the lights down. And, you know, after... You know, the services at night, we'd go over to Brother and Sister Hoods, and she would make German chocolate cake, and we, she'd make these sandwiches, and everybody just kind of hung around. It, it was just, it was just, I wasn't accustomed to that, but that particular night, I, I went to get my Bible, and we were getting ready to he head to Brother Hood's and Sister Hood's house, and I looked down at the end, and, and there was Brother Hood. And I heard him just like mumbling, and I'm thinking, what, what's going on? And so I walked down to the end of the pew quietly, and I stopped, and he was praying. Like th and this is what he was praying. He said, oh, God. He said, save my city. And I've seen some people cry, but literally on the pew, I'll never forget this. There was just a puddle of tears. I mean, I know that night that Pastor David Hood turned God's chair because there was such an honest humility as he prayed. <laughs> There's no wonder that thing went four weeks every night. And if you didn't get there at 7 o'clock, that thing seated, what, $700 back then? You, you didn't get a seat. There were people, I, you guys, I never blew a hot water bottle up. I, I never ripped a phone. I, it was just a, a sovereign revival. I think about Joe Antikar, who was saved in that revival. I think about um, Jimmy Killian, who has a church. and what I mean, Dean Service. I mean, it's just crazy how many people that God got a hold of. Well, they were telling that story recently to Macy, her mother and father. And, and, and Macy goes, you mean Donnie Moore came for three he came, to, he came to Marysville, and you guys didn't tell me? <laughs> and they go, Macy, you weren't born yet. We were just teenagers ourselves, her mother and father. 
So I don't know if this got a hold of her because of the revival she heard about. Um, this is in 1986, on 185. This is a long, long time ago. But that little 10-year-old girl for her grandfather to her kid, to her family, it's got a hold of her. I have to go back to Marysville <laughs> because this brings me to my fourth point, the voice of unwavering faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, as you can see, you know, the word of God makes it clear. The Lord loves a variety of voices, the persistent, the brokenhearted, those that have honest, genuine humility. But the word says without faith it's impossible to please God. Who that comes to him must believe he is, and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God, God responds to the voice that's filled with confidence in him and his word. A voice like yours, a voice that believes as surely as God is God. He's also the rewarder. He is the God who says, your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man the things of which God has prepared for those that love him. That God revealed to them by the Spirit. Faith not only moves mountains, but faith moves the heart of God. The voice of faith will turn his chair every time. You know, I watched in my life men and women that have stepped out in faith and have turned God's chair. I think even Pastor Don and what you guys are, are doing and have accomplished with the Lord's Gym, Sean, and you getting into the public schools and, and what you guys are doing in this, this area to turn God's chair. I, I, I think about my friend Stan where I was at last week, and I was standing there the last service um, speaking in the Christian school and I was looking at these 150 high schoolers and thinking 10 years ago, there was no building. It was just a, it was just dirt in a field. And when him and I stood there and we began to prophesy and he began to speak and he said, there's where the sanctuary, there, there's going to be, Donnie, over there, the school and I looked at him, I said, your vision is too small. He goes, what? I said, it's too small. There's something else God wants to do here. And um, they're, they're going now to multiple campuses, but the way they're doing it is so unique. I don't have time to, to share this morning. Time is, is getting away here. But I was thinking about the faith. To, to step out, to believe. I mean, this morning, the Lord's chair has only been a figure uh, of speech today. But the Bible says that, that God has a chair. The Bible says that Jesus sits enthroned in majesty at God's right hand. And we even have a Bible record of the Lord being moved to a standing ovation. 
His name is Stephen, and he was the first martyr in the, our, the Christian church. He, he, he had the things that Jesus loved. He, had the, the, he was a persistent seeker. He was a, a man that was uh, broken, and he had a pliable spirit, and he was clothed with honest humility. He was a man of tenacious faith, but he was framed by a religious crowd. And he, he had a choice, impress the crowd and use his voice to renounce his faith or impress the Lord and use his voice to declare his faith. He, of course, chose to do the latter and like a pack of wolves, the religious crowd savagely attacked him. As they were stoning him, they were hurling insults. His blood began to pool at his feet. Bright red rivers began to pour from gaping gashes all over his body as he was losing consciousness. God gave him a glimpse into heaven. And not only heaven, but how heaven was responding. He saw Jesus no longer sitting in his chair, but at the right hand. And, and he was standing. And I believe he was leading heaven in a standing ovation well, the first martyr that was coming home is the, the team comes, the worship team, and, and we close. I, I, I want to just say a few things. See, the voices that turned God's chair, the voice of the persistent seeker, the voice of the brokenhearted, the voice of, of honest humility, and, and the voice of, of faith, unwavering faith. But if I had a fifth chair, I, I think I would call it the voice of courage. The voice of courage. As we end this morning, I'm just going to be real honest with you and, and straight from my heart about what's happening, in my opinion, in, in our world, in our culture. Um, there seems like in a matter of months, we've seen the mood of our nation become hostile toward Christ and, and biblical views. We've been marginalized our our long-held beliefs on marriage and abortion and drugs are being treated if there's some new and threatening extreme i mean i have for the first time administrators coming to me and before an assembly will say donnie would you say if you're a boy here today and you're another boy and you like a boy that's okay if you're here and you're a girl and you like another girl that that's okay and I'm not trying to be some right, righteous, right-wing, Bible reactionary. But what about the honor of God? You know, what about the courage? And, and uh, I, I was speaking, and I don't mean to be blunt, but I was speaking to a major league team, and they asked me to have chapel in the clubhouse we usually have chapel in the weight room so what i do at the coliseum every sunday is we go and we have chapel for the oakland a's in the weight room and then i bring the other guys in during batting practice and, and the weight room have the second chapel and then i speak to the umpires before the game that's that's a routine on sunday but a team come in and um they said, Donnie, listen, uh, we got a hit late on the field. Can you do chapel for the whole team? And we're going to do it in the clubhouse. Th that's unheard of. And um, 
the leader uh, was David Ortiz of uh, the Boston Red Sox, and he called Dustin Betrayal. He said, Dustin, he said, we want to do it here in the, because I asked, I said, you better check with the manager. You better, I don't want to, you know. I mean, this is in the clubhouse. This is their clubhouse, and you got to understand wh when they have their domain, it's, 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 and so he called a couple of players over, and if you don't follow baseball, a couple years ago, David Ortiz, he's, he'll be a Hall of Famer. He's the most valuable player in the World Series. He's just a, uh, a well-known player in the game. But he's calling for chapel in the clubhouse. And so I started out by saying, if you're going to serve Jesus, basically you've got to have some brass ones. I, you you got to, and then and this one guy stands up in, in front of everybody, and he goes, if you're going to serve God, you got to have, you got to have courage. Man, it takes courage. I, I'm looking at these professional athletes, and, and I've been doing this for 27 years, and I'm seeing more and more guys in the athletic world step up. I mean, when I did the Trailblazers and the L.A. Lakers last Tuesday, I couldn't believe how many guys were in there. If you look at the pitchers, it's, it's packed. There, there's something happening. You're seeing more and more professional players not just look to heaven but unashamedly i mean there are so many guys on the seahawks i i'm not even people ask me all the time what what team you like and what team you pull for i said i pull for all the believers you know i i'm just anybody that's taking a stand for god i am pulling for them but what i want to say to us today what the pressure that is on us no no matter the organization today it's it's like when they come to the church is they don't want us to just say what the Bible says. Because tolerance, when I grew up, was you have a right to your beliefs, you have a right to, to whatever you want to think, and, and we're tolerant, we we're civil. We might disagree, but there was some civility. People, you know, were like, kind of live and let live. You know, that's your decision. But today... If I stand up and say Jesus is the only way, if I, if I stand up and say I believe in marriage between a man and a woman, I, I don't even have a right by a lot of culture mores today to say that because now the culture today, they, they don't want tolerance. They want endorsement. So if I don't endorse, then I become labeled a name. I mean, I had a lady recently get mad at me because I told the guys in the school assembly to open doors for ladies. A lady came up to me after, I'm a feminist. And I had fins me. I can open my own door. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I, I don't, listen, I was in the delivery room three times. I know my wife's stronger than me. There's not an issue about strength. I can bench 500 pounds. Women are stronger. I don't open the door for my wife because I think she's weaker. I open the door because I honor her. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean we're going to have to come to a place where we say, you know what? This is what the Bible says. And just because of how, how culture stands, I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. But, you know, I'm going to take a stand for God. I, I have to. I love you, but I didn't come here to do an assembly today to promote gay rights. I'm, I'm sorry. 
I came here to help kids get off drugs and do an assembly on self-esteem. And no, I can't say today if you're a boy and you like another boy. I can't say if you're a girl and you're like, I'm sorry, I can't say that. I will not say that. And I'm not trying to be mean. But, but in order to stand up like that today, it takes courage. That's why I tell these young people today, there's never been a harder time to live and stand for God than, than this time. But yet, the rewards are so great because we honor God. Okay. I, I've been doing a whole lot of studying about honor. I don't mean a golf subject, but, but, but honor. I heard a man say, he said, you, you will succeed in life if you honor someone, if you don't succeed in life, you fail with your life. It's because of who you have dishonored. Honor is important to me. Honor is your code of conduct. It's just something to open a door for a woman. Con honor is, um, the, the Bible, there are ten commandments. Four deal with honoring God. The last six do with honoring people. One of them comes with a promise. If you honor your mother and father. You're going to live long. It's a promise. You know why I'm more blessed than all my brothers and my sister? Because I take care of my mother better than they do. No, I, I, I don't want to say that bragging. I, I got one brother that, that he does. You know, but if I honor, honor people. Honor is as simple as being polite. It's, 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 it's honor is respect. Honor it's a good thing. I, I love preaching the South because it's a culture of honor for the foremost. It really is. Matt, H Hideki Matsui, when he came over, he, he, Japanese player, played for us. I would sit and have discussions. I was fascinated whether he honored people. Uh, they had uh, the press, seven, came in and, and followed him and, uh, when he was with us in Oakland. and He would sit at his locker, and when he would motion the press would come over the japanese press to, to interview they never came over to his locker until he acknowledged that they could there was just a code of honor and and I, one day i was talking to hideki matsui and he told me i got to the point where he wouldn't even use his interpreter just him and i would talk and he told me the reason he honored christians he, he'd come up from a poor village in japan and there was a missionary there that would feed the poor and because of, of that man's heart, Hideki Matsui's father would invite him into the home. And, and Hideki says, I really have great honor for Christians. I mean, here's a missionary. We, we probably won't even know his, we, we don't even know his name. Honor. I mean, I mean, think about it for, for a moment. The ultimate is dishonor as a recipe for disaster absalom he absalom he hung because of dishonor the prisons are full of people men and women they were not trained in honor so i can create through honor what i can't create through intelligence knowledge experience or finances the way i honor people will be remembered long after i am not here
So, when I'm talking to people, I don't have a long time to discern your character. I don't have a long time to sit and um, spend 20 years with you. But I can sit with Don like I did up in his office and talk about this man, Steward, Brother Steward. See, in every conversation, I listen for desire. I listen for passion when I'm talking to people. And I listen for the sound of honor. Because if I know who you honor, then I know who you are. I heard Bill Maher last week in an interview say he honors Hugh Hefner. I don't have to know anymore about that man. And I don't put him down. I'm, I mean, seriously, he bashes Christians. He bashes God. I pray for him. But as soon as I know who he honors, then it tells me a lot about who he is. So listen, in every conversation, when you're talking to someone, listen to who they honor. Honor. I want to stand for God. I want to show honor to God with my life. Had a guy call me on the way here. He's had some problems with me and, and um, the way I've done things as chaplain for the Oakland A's. And for he's been critical of me for about two or three years. And he called me today on the way here. He said, I need to ask for your forgiveness. He said, I, I have watched you love me when I'm critical of you. And I've watched you love professional ball players." He said, but you know, Donnie, he said, you love the guards. He goes, you bring drinks to the guards, uh, water out of your ice chest. You fill it and you, you honor the guards. And, and it made me feel so good. And I, I was going to do a whole thing in honor today, but I, I, I was thinking about the chair that turns. The heart of God is, is, is is courage and the reason we have courage is because we honor God and and when Shadrach Meshach you know when when they were told to bow and they stood they stood in honor of God and, and the reason is is because he's a God worth honoring 